We running this, let's go. I'm on a boat, I'm on a boat. Everybody look at me, cause I'm sailing on a boat. I'm on a boat. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the 25th episode of Salt, Ships, and Scuttlebutt. I am your host, Captain Green, and unfortunately, Griefer is not with us this week. Um, he is going and visiting the War Memorial for the Great Emu War. He's teaching his daughter and, and the rest of their scout group about the trials and tribulations of that dark, dark time in Australian past. Um... Joining me today in his stead is Mr. Pickles. How are we doing, Mr. Pickles? Doing good, doing good. Uh, I guess the, the meme is that I'm supposed to just say hello and then there would be an awkward silence, but I'm not going to do that. Um, I, I, I know that most of the other guests have done that. Yes, that's, that's yeah. been a thank you for not falling down that rabbit hole. Um, so we typically do this little back and forth about how you know our weeks went. But um, the only thing that's on the docket today was my fishing trip, which did not go as planned. So I can, I can briefly talk about that. Um, we were supposed to go out to Stellwagen Bank and do some fishing. Um, instead, we all got drunk at the pier at 8 a.m. And we went maybe 400 feet offshore and caught striper all day while still drinking. So... It wasn't the big fishing trip I thought it was going to be. However, it was still a wonderful outing with the boys. And yes, it, there was there's many drunk photos of me that were taken. So I, I may trickle those out there. I might not. I don't know. So upon returning to the dock, were you or were you not mistaken uh, for a lobster? No, because I actually wore rain poncho the whole day because I was terrified of getting a sunburn because the school, the center I'm on, the job course center I'm on actually classifies, um, the stuff you put on to like soothe sunburns as a drug. So I can't take it on center. So I was fucking terrified of getting any sun. I walked around covered head to toe in sunscreen. I, I stayed underneath the cover on the boat. It was not good. But I did get a little bit of sun on my arms, which was good. I don't look white. I don't look like a, a, a basement gremlin anymore. So that's good. Mm. But joining us today is a very special guest. Somebody that I've wanted on for a very, very long time. Um... Joining us this week is John the Ruthless. How are we doing, John? I'm doing good. It's uh, great that you uh, asked me onto the podcast. Uh, I've never really done one of these, so it's kind of like the first one, but uh, it's great to be here. Um, for those of you that don't know me, um, I'm a player on the North American server. Uh, I'm a member of 07, and uh, that's about all that you really need to know. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I, I'd, I'd wager that there's one other thing that people need to know, John. There, I'd wager there's one other thing. That is the, the reputation you have in the North American community. Pickles knows what I'm talking about because we were talking about it um, before when we were setting up the episode. Have but, I been yeah, uh, accumulating sure. a little bit of a, a reputation about me, have I now? It's, it's a good <laughs> reputation. It's a good reputation. Good, good, always. You have yeah, reputation. Would you like to go, Mr. Pickles? Would you like yeah, to for, for listeners that, that aren't familiar uh, with the North American competitive scene or 
um, have never been on uh, na.wows-numbers. Um, John the Ruthless is uh, well lives up to his namesake um, and, and has sort of an infamous reputation for being um, a master of both competitive and farming and randoms. <laughs> I, I was going to say the reputation he has for being one of the nicest people in the North American community. That is actually true as well, more yeah, importantly. That um, is more importantly. Yeah, yeah. Because it, it doesn't matter how good you are uh, at, at achieving purple numbers, uh, if you are a toxic player, nobody's going to like you. And that's you just... have no idea how many, uh, how much the, those words mean to me. Um, well, thank you so much. They're they're yeah. very true, John. I always get happy when I see you in randoms. I always say hi. <laughs> you always say uh, nice or hi in a nice way back. You were incredibly pleasant in DMs. Everything I've ever heard about you is that you've been a wonderful person to interact with. So I didn't know if that had made your way to it. So I figured I would. I really appreciate the words, man. Thank you so much. Not a problem. Yeah. Actually, yeah. Actually, John, the, the only interaction I have with you before today uh, was during a Tier 7 ranked season. Um, oh, my. <laughs> tier yeah. 7, eh? Yeah. Uh, I, think, I think it was when we were testing the new version of, of ranked. Uh, that first yeah, that season. would have been a while ago. Um, yeah, they had like Tier 6 and 7, I think. You could play yeah. either one of the tiers. Um, and, and Addison, the, the head of Bonks, had told me, you know, Try try out Atlanta, bring an IFHE captain, have fun. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, tier seven, obviously, IFHE Atlanta actually works. Um, and I ran into you on the other team in an Atlanta, and you asked me just to make sure you have IFHE, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was like, yeah, and you're like, good man. All right. And well, you know, they hey, that was that was like a stand up thing, right? Yes. I think, like seeing people run epic builds. <laughs> I think the one interaction I have with you and randoms, other than me saying hi and then you sinking me, was during, I think it was the tier <laughs> six clan battle season. You know that weird part in the season? Oh my gosh. When everybody ran like Mysores? Yes, to yeah. counter, the, to do the heavy smokes sort yes. of thing, right? <laughs> so I was playing a Mysore, and I think it was Crash Zone Alpha, I forget. But you... Uh, Tried to push my smoke in the La Galassonie. And. Oh, right. We ran that. I remember that we were doing like heavy spees for a little while, but then it might have gotten clapped or something. I do remember we were running the galley um, mm. for a good portion as well. I just remember. Just for the reload booster. <laughs> yep, it was that. Mm. And, and mm. I remember I you were down like 500 health. You dodged every shot that came your way for five seconds. And then a hand of God, six in shell, hit something. And, and I got an overpen and you died. And you said, nice shot. <laughs> and I, it, you know, it, it, I think I replied with thank you. But in the back of my head, I'm like, that was horse shit. I didn't deserve that. <laughs> thank you, RNG. But anyway. Uh, it sometimes it, happens, right? It sometimes happens. It's always that one shell that is just wildly different from the rest of the pattern that Citadels. Oh, yeah. This is yeah. This is why um, for, for really good players at the game, they'll say that uh, the least favorite battleship that they fight against is German battleships because the shells just go everywhere. So it's like, I might dodge it, but, you know, it's always kind of up to RNG if one of the shells just happens to hit my boat, right? This I... is why Dazzle is a terrible skill for DDs. <laughs> it makes you get hit yes. by one shell every salvo. I had yeah. a, um, I had a, one, one last RNG story and then we can get going here. I had a 
Conqueror salvo that I fired at a GK. Um, I was, I remember this because I was intoxicated at the time, and I think the replay is somewhere on the box server. But one shell, all of them landed a boat's length behind him. One shell hit right amidships. It went so far off the fucking, it just spread so far, and it set three fires. And then the GK called me something I can't repeat on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Toxicity? Nah, not in World War II. Not in the the thinking man's action game. No way. But anyway. Only civilized conversation. Oh, yes. Only. mm, So do we want to actually continue with the podcast? Go with the... Uh, questions, food, local yeah, yeah, sayings, customs. Let's. Yeah, that's what I was. That's what I was gonna get into. We we can start with John because he's below me in the Discord. Call it. I'm a simple creature. Um, John, what 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 part? Uh, where where are you from? If you don't mind me asking. Oh, so I am from up in the north, the top head of America and Canada. Ooh. Um, if you are Canadian, the specific province is Ontario. And uh, I'm currently in school as well. I think not on my stream, I actually have the school that I'm going to, so kind of interesting. You can go check that out. But uh, yeah, so it's Ontario, Canada. I'm a Canadian. Uh, true North, strong and proud. What a, what a shame. You, you were so nice, and then you mentioned Canadian. What a shame. <laughs> Wait, what's that uh, TikTok trend? He's a Tenton, but unfortunately he's Canadian. <laughs> Canadian? <laughs> I saw one. It was like, he's a ten, but he drives a V6 EcoBoost Mustang. <laughs> Yeah, oh no. Yeah. Anyway. But is is there any any other than, you know, a boot and being nice to everybody, do you have any other local kind of standalone customs and, and food and anything in Ontario? Honestly, there's not too much that differs probably from what you see in the States. Uh, I guess we have probably a few more poutine shops than you mm. would expect in the States uh, than in the States, but um yeah, it's 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 pretty similar, I'd say, to the northern states. You kind of just go outside, you know, go walk in the park. You know, it snows in the winter, but you know, mm. other than that, it's uh, it's just pretty. It's just a, a nice, a nice place up here. I think. Oh, I have uh, no doubt. Mm-hmm. I think I went to Canada once to buy gas because my aunt worked <laughs> at a, a ski resort up on the border of Canada. In there, Maine. you go. And we went over, and I got a like. A candy bar too. That's it. And they still took American. Your one. Your one transaction. To yeah, get that's it. Candy bar and gas. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> All right, and 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 you, Mister Pickles. I know you're from the yeah. good old U.S. of A. But where, if you don't mind specifically saying, you know, address, date, social security number, all that. Where where you live? Right, right, yeah. Um, and my credit card number too. You need that. Oh yeah, the numbers uh, on the back. Don't forget please. the uh, three numbers on the back. Thank three you. numbers on the back. Yep, yep. Uh, I am from the uh, great cult of Maryland. Because um, remember, it's it's not a state; it's a cult mm-hmm. uh, where the flag looks super weird. And uh, everyone has it plastered all over everything they own. Um, uh, where I'm from is famous for blue crabs, oysters, watermen working the bay. Um, everyone gets called Cap or Hun. Uh, it's everyone's pickup trucks are loud and jacked up and it, it's very unlike the rest of the state in, in that regard so if you're thinking of the typical i-95 corridor you are way off 
Um, if you are ever in Maryland, uh, the crab cakes here are absolutely the best. You have to have a Maryland crab cake. Not a Maryland-style crab cake outside of Maryland. A Maryland crab cake. Uh, and and J.O. Spice is better than Old Bay. And that's all I'll say about that. Okay. I think my one interaction with Maryland is I got kicked out of a bar there. I think that's it. Kicked out. Yeah. That, yeah. that makes sense. Yep. I don't even remember it. I just, I remember I just woke up in like a Motel 6 in Maryland. Oh, I my forgot to like, mention. Yeah, we're going home. I was like, okay. Uh, we call stripers rockfish, so. <sighs> rockfish to me means something completely different. They look like, you nope. know those. Nope. Stripers. You know those. Rockfish. You know those really, really deep sea fish that have like the 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 like glowy ball on the end of an antenna. Like ang- anglerfish. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. the rockfish that I know of look like that, except without the teeth and without the angler, and so they're just like this ugly trapezoidal fish. <laughs> yeah. Eats those like, are dogfish. Yeah. They they eat like sadness and rocks. I don't even know what they eat. Yeah, they're called they're called dogfish down here. Mm. Mm. We're actually up here in Boston. We have a lot of crab and and all that stuff too. Yeah, but it's not the same. Cause, no, see, we cause, have this thing called brackish better. water. Yeah, yeah we have is... brackish water that makes it better. Mm. Counterpoint: ours is just better because I live here and Boston's better. Oh, okay. All yeah. right. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I yeah. know. Makes it's, sense. Yep. Yeah. Math checks out. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Are, are we gonna? Are we just gonna do this back and forth? Yeah, and not let John talk. We brought we brought John on to listen to us argue uh, about seafood. <laughs> John comes on. We stroke I'm John's not, ego not. for saying he's nice. Then we talk <laughs> about seafood for two hours. Let's go. I'm not far east enough to know my way around uh, seafood too well, mm. but <laughs> yeah. that is that is quite all right, John. I d- don't worry about it. It's. I've I've worked as a lobsterman. It's not as cool as everybody cranked up to be. It's just you're just kind of like a construction worker, but you're just have an alcohol problem. That's it's just no. built in when you sign the contract. <laughs> if you're sober and you're pulling lobster pots, you're either like crazy or on drugs. It's not good. Anyway, moving on from drugs and lobsters. This week, gentlemen, we finally got the maps for the clan battle season. The upcoming, oh the boy. tier eight, 6v6. Um, I think in there we have the usual suspects. We have Crash Zone Alpha, because mm-hmm. that map is going to be in there until the fucking game dies. Not the that I... death of the universe. <laughs> Haven, which I don't think has ever been out of the, the rotation. Trident, which didn't... Wait, wasn't Trident in like a tier 10 season? It was in the last... It's been in a few of them, actually. Yeah. I didn't... Either sparse here and there. Uh, it's in a lot of ranked. So that's, mm. that's what, what people get confused with. Trident is almost always in the ranked rotation. Yeah. Mm. I think the, you know, loop is there, uh, which is always contentious. Um, Islands of Ice, kind of neither good nor bad. It's just sort of there. 
Um, the the new ones are New Dawn and Ring, and I don't think we've seen New Dawn since the tier the last tier six season. Yeah, I'm gonna be honest. I I was looking at these maps. I do not even remember playing on New Dawn. It's been so long that uh, it's been in the competitive scene. I think it's. I also don't yeah. play the low tier stuff too often, so yeah. uh, I'm not too familiar with uh, New Dawn. I think it's a tier and, five and, map. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it's 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 a tier five map along with Ring. Which mm. I am not looking forward to that one. I will be on it. That's gonna be great. I uh, think that the variety and size is gonna be really interesting because, like, it is tier eight ships, right? Mm. Uh, but like, you look at Ring and New Dawn and even Trident, and these are pretty tiny maps. And then you go all the way up to like Crash Zone. We've got Loop in here as well. Like, these are massive maps. Yeah. Uh, com in, in comparison, mm. so I think that. Uh, strategy like creating a comp that's good for both these kind of closer maps with all the caps kind of centralized and then these very spread out uh, wide open maps is gonna be it's gonna be interesting mm. I'm not sure what the meta is gonna lead to especially with uh, Spies being uh, banned and stuff like that yeah. <laughs> oh wait no it's not tier six nope Sorry. not tier, tier eight. Yeah, yeah 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 tier eight <laughs> so so do you think that they did this in order to sort of curb the lay fantastic the terrible spam and say, hey, we've got these really small maps where you can't quite utilize the speed of these fast French destroyers. Or I feel like that's going to actually emphasize the the need for French DDs because you got these really wide open flanks where if you can take them with like a fast DD, right, you can't really get safe on the centralized islands. Like, let's say that you mm -hmm. get two French DDs out wide on ring, right? Any ship that kind of just sits on those central islands is going to be able to get shot at by them. Mm. So you're going to have to send somebody out there and take that flank. So uh, I think that actually the close quarters maps are going to be the ones where French GDs excel. You also have all these caps all centralized. So that means like late game, if it comes down to it, right, you can just push all these caps. You'll have DDs up nice and close. Uh, to contest them, and you can like get torpedo rushes. It's mm. all super close quarters, and as you guys know, French torpedoes, let me tell you. Ooh. The number of times that a clever has come around a corner at one kilometer on me, <laughs> I'd prefer yeah. not to remember. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, I just, yes. I, I'm expecting long periods of waiting on those islands at ring, waiting in the camps, just yep. two DDs yep. on either side of the island, uh, or whatever you shove in there. And then the real battle is going to be at A1 and J10. Yeah. You know? Yep. Um, and then I oh. guess two Lenins. I, I, I was just going to say two cap, Lenins you know? are going to kiss in the it's middle of the map. Always going to be Lenins. It's always <laughs> going to be. Lenins. There's been some talk of you know Borodino's constell constellation. Was it? Yeah. Yeah, constellation. Um, but I could see constellation I, and then for the radar, right? But the bow is so squishy that um, yeah. I don't know if it a hundred percent gets the ram every time, and then you have to take out like you know. A battleship. The other thing when the other it's thing, uh, six v six. The other thing yeah, about constellation is it does like you know thirty nine billion knots in a straight line, and it is Fletcher Taurus. It's fast. I I didn't realize how fast that thing was. I saw one like in random battles, and I was I was like aiming at it like a Colorado, and like mm -hmm. yeah, this thing. Yeah, because like, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's all it is. Brick. It's a big Colorado with more in the middle, and then you go, oh, it's going a hundred miles goes, an hour, man. It just goes. That thing is going at French DD speeds. I have to lead off my screen. I'm like, what is going on? What did they add in here? <laughs> the thing that I but really. Yeah think is funny about the constellation is the speed the torps the radar and the fact that it's covered in like 
13 millimeter plating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I forgot about that against the torpedoes. Just because mm. of the torpedoes, it might be popular because, I mean, while we're saying that, uh, you know, you'd have to ram the Lenin, if you get an opportunity for a torp rush, uh, there's not too many BBs that we'll see that are going to be bringing torpedoes. You'll have to bring, like, Turpis for torpedoes, uh, which, as we know, is probably not the best pick. It doesn't have very much utility be besides the kind of rush power. Um, so, just for the torpedoes alone, it might be it might be some. Yeah, they they are. If I remember correctly, they are triple racks on Fletcher torps. Oh, there comes somebody in. So sixteen thousand damage, ninety eight second reload time, fifty five knot torpedoes. Yeah, these these would be nicer to drive by, but you'd still have to make the guns, I think, do a little bit of work. Yeah, not not quite enough alpha to take out a healthy Lenin. It's, it's not like getting crip walked uh, at by a Schlieffen, right? Just yeah. vomits yeah. on you. Does uh, Constellation have a Citadel? I actually haven't played against it too much, so it's, I don't It's a Lexington really know. class, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's a Lexington. It's got a Waterline Citadel. Yeah. Okay, okay. But it, you got to remember the armor belt. I think is like 178 millimeters or something because it's a Lexington. Yeah, yeah it's it's literally 178. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Hey, 30, 32 plating and the torpedo bulges uh, over that 178. Um, 27 balance stern, and then I'm pretty sure it's simply Colorado turrets. So, yeah. But. Mm -hmm. it, yeah. If you if you really had a battleship player you trusted, it it could work. Um, whereas you could probably stick just about anyone in a Lennon and yeah, call they, it a day. They could eat their lead oh, paint yeah. and play. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, there's that's that's what I think is going to be very interesting about these maps because you have, granted, the Lennon just kind of works well regardless of the range. But there's going to be teams without Lennons who are going to be. Oh, give me two seconds. Somebody is moving around in the background here. So, some of the other maps, to, to just briefly touch on them real quick, is Haven ends up being a very interesting one in a, in a season where potentially we could see less radar or maybe more. It's, it's weird. There's, a, there's sort of this radar creep going on where more and more Tier 8 premiums have been introduced. You have the, the Orkin and the, you know, Bordino yeah. and constellation like we said um but maybe right. yeah orkin orkin's probably gonna play if people do bring it the same sort of role that small and played in, right? in the yeah. previous season because you know just sort of as a spotter for the uh more dpm yeah. focused ships um but haven i just i always hate contesting uh that uh thunderdome cap you know, <laughs> I don't think anybody really likes contesting anything that resembles a Thunderdome. Yeah, it's just there's so many islands for radar cruisers and DPM ships yeah. to, to sort of wait their turn behind. And then there's you, really only one spot on each side of the cap for the DD. Yeah. So you can just always have your guns there. You, you know what I think is going to be pretty meta is Radar Eden. Um, I think that uh, a lot of the upper teams are probably going to yeah. bring a Radar Eden um, simply because it gets such a long duration radar and a super heal on a cruiser in a 6v6 format. So, you know, they could put that Radar Eden on any of those islands surrounding that cap and you yeah. have like a 40 second radar on whatever DD's in there. Um, so, yeah. 
I think that that's it's gonna be kind of brutal for DDs that are told by their callers, yeah, yeah, just go contest the contest gap. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just just go have fun. Um, just go do it. As, you know? <laughs> as 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 the as the token DD told by his caller to go contest things randomly. Um I'm not looking forward to that, I'll be honest. Uh Radar Eden could work really well. I think the, there's also Congress as sort of a Congress might not be bad if you're doing a heavy push comp, right? But if if yeah. uh if you let like for example a French DD or even two French DDs just kind of right. stand on top of a Congress, I'm what pretty it sure do? it actually is going to die because I mean I, as much as we love Alaska, missing those two guns, and I think it has a little bit less accuracy, it's just yep. going to melt, man. It's uh, It doesn't have the DPM to take out those DDs, yeah. and they can just shoot with impunity from, like, what, 15 kilometers and just right. <laughs> and you everywhere. And every single missed shell is going to feel really bad on that ship. It's going to feel bad. It's going to feel bad. Um... Yeah, I, I can see that. I can see the, the variation in map sizes really leading more towards the French destroyer meta, or at least towards a speed meta. Um I wouldn't be surprised if they start putting in some bands kind of like even like start of season, but I don't know if they've announced any bands yet, but um they uh, if they do, I would suspect knowledge. that French DDs are gonna be at the very least limited. Um and then potentially, uh, if we see heavy smoke comps, they might limit yeah, some of the Aki's and uh, yeah, EDs and cruisers. Um, I think the the I bigger issue Aki there actually. is actually Aki might be a yeah. really strong. Actually, I, I forgot about that one. Um, I think it'll be really strong to have it on like uh, not a push side, but on a holding flank a defense yeah. side, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you could pair sure. it with the the Edinburgh actually, so you could smoke for both of you. You have a radar combination, then high explosive and AP um, might be kind of strong. All right, I'm, I'm, holding I'm back by sure. the way. Sorry about that. One of my roommates well, came in and needed to get something out of his uh, closet. Ah, yeah, and living with roommates. Dude, we love life. Me and me and three other guys in a in a room. It's great. Oh, all in one room. It's not. Yes. Um, like kind of divided up. I know some no. dorms are like sometimes, you know, there's a communal area and then there's like some separate bedrooms or whatever. So the way that this is set up is um, the Job Corps program is through the Department of Labor. So that means that it's the government, the U.S. government is running this. So that means that they're going to cost cut at every corner that they can. <laughs> so that means that I'm I'm literally in old army barracks right now so it's like two it's like a bed three foot a bed a wall a bed three foot a bed so you know it, it's not fine i i have i'm i'm fortunate enough to have wonderful roommates but part of the part of the the problems with not problems part of the struggles in having roommates is balancing out what everybody has to do you know like yeah. one of my roommates might want to be like, yeah, I'm going to play games until 4 a.m. And I'm just sitting there like, okay, I can hear everything, but that's all right. It's, you know, we all <laughs> share the space. So um, I'm just trying to balance around uh, my roommates still wanting to use the space because I, I can't just plop down and be like, don't make noise for two hours. Because it's just <laughs> rude. <laughs> so, but anyway, the, the, the Tier 8 season, I think that it's going to be very interesting because another thing that I have seen a lot of in terms of cruisers 
is the Okachov and the Cherbourg. The Okachov, I think, is kind of coming out of, out of left field, but I think that a lot of people are, a lot of people are utilizing it um, due to the radar that it has, and the fact that at the end of the day, it, it still has some pretty good HE DPM. It's not great. It's eight guns. Um, but, uh, Ojak yeah. Ojakov is the, uh, Smolens kind of yes. hull, yes. right? Yes. Yes. I think it is right. just a Smolens hull at tier 8 with duels instead of quads. Uh, Let me actually first. pull it up. I, I learned from one of the previous episodes to have the client running in the background so you can always look at <laughs> yep, that's uh, the armor. Yeah, and it does have 25mm plating, so, you know, it's not... 16 mil or anything like that. I yeah. remember correctly. I think with Chekhov, it really suffers with its accuracy, though. Um, yeah. Uh, if if right. I remember. Um, because it has 152s. It doesn't have the 130s. It right. does have 152s. So that means a longer reload. And it gets dual turret syndrome, where the turrets just, or where the shells rather, just go to fucking Narnia half the time. Love mm -hmm. dual turrets. <laughs> Which actually, nice now that I'm now. looking at, uh, <laughs> now that I'm looking at tier 8. Russian things. Um, the Kiev is an interesting choice. If they ban, you know, Le Fan, Le Terrible, right and off the Kiev could go, definitely make a comeback. Yeah. Kiev could definitely make a comeback. I, I thought you were going to say the Peter Bagration, and I was just going to remove no. you from the call and be like, hey, <laughs> no. John, you're the new co host. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Obviously, uh, Z35. Oh. Big, big contender, you know, right? <laughs> the maker, whatever the, the yeah yeah marker. good job marker yeah good job marker. <laughs> um, another interesting one, obviously, people have been floating Tone mm. because you know why ban carriers when you could just bring a carrier. Yeah, I think that um, Tone is gonna be. I mean, simply for the spotting alone, right? That's gonna be what um bring one, put it on the off flank, popular. call it a day, like, right? It's, you know what, like. How many times in clan battles have you been like there's just a ship that gets away and you, you just can't swat it like a DD or something like that, right? With yeah. tone, you just say like, oh, just just go swat him with Hold your, on, your planes, man. Here I come. <laughs> but yeah, no, the tone I think is we, we we briefly talked about it last week on the podcast, but eight Japanese eight inch guns. I think concealment that's like sub ten km. Yeah, eight point eight. Go fuck yourself if you're trying to walk into this thing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Oh, you're forgetting the uh, what the Mogami torpedoes? Yeah, heel, it is. It is ten kilometer Mogami torps. It is a heel in eight point eight conceal. You're gonna see five this. charges of heel. Five it's, charges of heel. By the way, it's a little nutty, as the kids would say. Um, yeah. The other thing is, is this thing is gonna be exactly like what you said—a king of being put on the off flank, because mm -hmm. it can yeah. run away and not show all that much side. And get all of its torps to bear because they're Japanese torps. You know they they don't have any forward arcs on the mainline cruisers, and yeah. all four of the turrets up front are really good arcs backwards. It's I think that Tone is, is definitely going to be one that we are going to see. I don't think we're going to see anything along the lines of Wichita's or Baltimore's. Although I love my Baltimore, I just don't think we're going to see them. Uh, Anchorage uh, is is definitely not an option. Yeah, um, <laughs> not an option. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, Holland could see it for the radar, even though it's short duration. I wouldn't bring a Tallinn for the same reasons I wouldn't bring a Baltimore. Tallinn doesn't get a heal, yeah. right? Right. Yeah. So but, uh, 
I guess I guess in that situation you just see more Don's not Don's quote, Chapiev. Yeah, Chapiev. Um twelve kilometer, but eh. Mm -hmm. They kinda get clapped, especially by a Lennon. I suspect that it will be probably like if you pair uh, Kuchizov instead, which gets the smoke, and then right. put like an Orokin for the radar over the cap, and then also have Tone's planes just in case. Um, I think that that would be enough to deter most comps from taking a from taking a camp uh, a cap. Yeah, because that's yeah. a a lot of DPM to work into, uh, to walk into rather, and b that's a lot of spotting to walk into. Yeah. Um, even yeah. I mean, argue, you know, the Kuchizov isn't going to be spotting things when it's in a smoke cloud but yeah congratulations uh, it's got two spotters for it right? yeah yeah there's two spotters and congratulations now you're walking at a kudazov um yeah uh the orkin i think gets a heal as well <laughs> yes it does it's, it's a small less. end on a lightning hull it's a small end on a lightning hull that's all it is and um, it's fantastic and yeah and we just went over why the tony would be great i think that that would be a good idea you know, a nice little thing to run. There's a lot of people who are talking about running, like I mentioned earlier, Cherbourg. And that mainly boils down to um, them wanting to play for cruiser kills a little bit more, if that right. makes sense. in Because in the lower leagues, I don't think we're going to see, and, and maybe to a lesser extent in the upper leagues, I don't think we're just going to see sole DD comps. I think that the DD comps are going to be the better comp to run, but I still think that we're going to run into um, some cruiser comps, like I said in the earlier leagues, and maybe to a lesser extent, like Typh in low Typhoon. I would agree. I would agree. I think that every comp is going to have probably, if, if we're looking at 6v6, right? Yeah. I would say it's going yeah. to be one battleship for sure, and then of the remaining five ships, I would suspect two of them are always going to be cruisers. Um, and then it's your choice of uh, how many DDs and cruisers you want to bring for those last three. Um, again, in the higher leagues, I suspect it'll be catering a little bit more towards the destroyers. But um, at the lower leagues, you might see more cruisers. Um, mm. And then obviously, Sherborg with the battleship armor piercing uh, would be pretty decent against that. Yeah, that, that's kind of what I was thinking. Imagine I mean, you're in a mains and a Sherborg is running at you at 40 knots, shooting at you every 28 seconds with 12 inch guns. You bow tank and then torpin. Mm. That that's the problem with Cherbourg. It doesn't have any close range defense. It, it it honestly doesn't. I don't know. I think I think if it's if it's well supported, it can work. But I was I was thinking Cherbourg more for the crossfire with yeah. the battleship. Um, you you're sort probably of not going to be doing too much shoving at the start of the game, at least um, with Cherbourg. Um, it's going to be probably more of a passive cruiser, and then you use its HP in the end game to just kind of, you know, once you've whittled down the enemy team, you either make a, you know, a crazy play because you're losing, or if you're winning, you just run at them with HP and distract them from your teammates. Right. Yeah, that's yeah. that's a very good point. Um... I, I woke up two hours ago, so my brain's not really working. Um, but yeah, <laughs> this, seven... this is all just speculation, remember? Mm, all speculation. Right, right. We'll see what happens when the actual season hits off in a, a month or so. But, yes, the... but that, that brings up a good point. What do you think about the 6v6 format, John? Uh, well, I mean, so when it when it comes to my clan, at least, 07, um, it makes it easier because uh, we don't always have... Uh, a lot of members <laughs> online, so you know, sixty-six means that uh, we might be able to play every day instead of sometimes not having a key player to play. Uh, so uh, there's that, but at the same time, um, 
when it is 6v6, if somebody on your team makes a mistake, it's really hard to recover. So um, uh, we're going to need to be a lot more vigilant, I think, for, for all teams, not just the high-level teams, but all teams are going to need to be very vigilant about not losing a ship early, because uh, I think that that would have detrimental effects uh, for the remainder of the game if you lose, let's say, uh, a cruiser to a battleship uh, salvo where uh, your DD oh, gets torpedoed early. Um, random. We love RPF torpedoes, guys. We love them. Love them. Uh, but <laughs> if, uh, yeah, if you lose a DD early, um, that can be really uh, detrimental. Yeah, that I, I the 6v6 format is, I think, really going to put emphasis exactly on what you said. Um, it, it's going to make picks a lot easier because you're going to feel the loss exactly yeah, as you just said. You're going to feel the loss of a DD if you if your team loses a DD, but on the opposite end of the spectrum, it's going to be massively rewarding if you yes. uh, box out an enemy DD. Or and uh, actually, like building off of that, um, when we look at these formats, right, um, low-tier and high-tier uh, competitive play... Um, we're, t we're talking about always trying to isolate a target and find somebody that's like alone to focus out, right? Yeah. When it's 6v6, there's a higher chance that the forces are going to be spread a little bit thin, and that gives you an opportunity to kind of uh, pick somebody off as well, right? So looking for those opportunities, I think, is going to be on every caller's mind, I think, mm -hmm. in this upcoming season. Mm -hmm. I, I very much agree. Yeah, absolutely. Alright, so do we want to move on to the next topic here? Cause... I think it's a pretty good amount of clan battles that we've yeah, talked about yeah, so far. Yeah, yeah. Clan battles, is, it's something that we've talked about the last week, and we're going to be talking about next week, so I always try and yeah. limit the amount of time we spend on it, just because I don't want people to, to just, oh, it's the clan battle section again, we're going to hear the same three points. <laughs> but, um... Anyway, actually, Griefer added, um, he, he, he thankfully did a lot of the script. I had a massive test I had to study for this week. But he actually put in a few very interesting points here. Um, something that he wanted to talk about, and me, after reading it, I'd also like to talk about, is weather in the game. And just to put a little bit of a preface on this, by weather I mean changes to the map that affect ship detectability, if that makes sense. Because we've got cyclones, we've got the hurricane circle, whatever that thing's called, that all um, kind of put the, the visibility of ships into fluctuation during a game. And the, the kind of question here, the prompt is, thunderstorms, thunderstorms and cyclones have been in here for a while. What can we do to improve this or expand on this? A true night mode? How do we think that this can be implemented? Now, this... I think is going to be very, very interesting because I've, I think eventually we're going to get some form of a night mode. Um, I think that it's... I don't think it's going to be soon, but I think eventually it's something that we're going to get. And something that I would kind of like to pick your guys' brains about is how you think that that's going to be implemented or any other different types of inclement, inclement kind of weather type things in the map that affect visibility like i said what, what do you think mr pickles so i know that you know especially with the what was it season 11 maybe we had we had that cyclone that randomly happened 
mm-hmm. um, that got more more frequent the higher up you got, you know, to where it was pretty much every battle in Hurricane. Yeah. Um, I definitely thought it, it sort of it sort of made a lot of ships less viable because their main selling point was their detection, right? Um, and and it, it it limited ship choice to things that were good within those you know fourteen kilometers. I think I think notably we were saying, hey, you know, uh, Venezia is getting too much play. That's why they introduced these cyclones because Venezia is really only effective from 14 kilometers uh, out where the sap is getting deck pens, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and, and, and what it does is it, it, it's just sort of a way of doing ship bands without doing ship bands. Right. Yeah. Interesting way of putting it. I actually agree with that. No, because you're, um, you're, you're kind of adding another layer or you added another layer kind of in that competitive season of, yeah, we might not have normally taken this because it's detected from the moon, but because we're in, you know, Typhoon 1, we're going to get the Cyclone more often than not, and we can play within the confines of that Cyclone. Hmm. Yeah. Um, well, that's in terms of competitive. In terms of random battles, um, uh, honestly, I don't mind Cyclone at all. Uh, I think that it should be more well-known, though, like uh, how long Cyclones last and whatnot. I'm actually not sure on the details, but I think it's anywhere between five and eight minutes a cyclone can last, I think, which is not normally common Mm -hmm. knowledge. So oftentimes cyclones will lift when you're not expecting it to, or it will like stay for like a really long time. So I think that if they introduce a little bit less RNG to the cyclones duration, um, it would allow players to you know adapt to it a little bit better rather than it just kind of suddenly disappearing or suddenly uh just sticking really long and you you know you're, you're waiting for it to lift so you can shoot a spotted target and it just never lifts so you should have just been pushing um so yeah sometimes i think i think if they remove a little bit of the rng on that component of it in terms of the thunderstorm um I've been playing a lot of ships that are like really up close and personal, like Salem's and Des Moines and stuff. So I really don't have too much of an issue with the thunderstorm. But mm-hmm. uh, I do understand that for a lot of destroyer players, uh, it's it's an interesting mechanic because number one, I mean, enemy ships are allowed to get closer to you, but at the same time, you can kind of take whatever gunfight you want in a destroyer um, in in a thunderstorm because. Uh, once you stop shooting, you go dark after I think it's five seconds instead yeah. of the normal twenty. So uh, you can disengage far easier in destroyers in those thunderstorms, and I think that uh, that at least gives it kind of like an interesting mechanic um, that some players can abuse. And um, I mean, I think it's 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 okay. I think in 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 random matches as it is the weather effects in that. Absolutely, I think my my best my best Hayate games. Um, oh God, have definitely been. <laughs> no, um, God's strongest it, it is tier true, ten Japanese right? premium Hayate. Right, it, it is true that the the spotting mechanics during the thunderstorms, especially the the little ones that sort of move across the map, um, can be sort of really trolly if you're trying to get a shot on that one ship that keeps popping up and shooting and then going dark five seconds later and you have slow turrets or something 
exactly. So, so a good player can definitely take advantage of that. Uh, but moving on to, do you think do you think a night mode is sort of inevitable? Do you think enough people are asking for it? I would love to see a night mode. I think that one of the ways they could implement it, they say that the lighting would be affect the aiming systems, but in you know, I mean, this wouldn't be realistic because you know historically ships probably wouldn't have lights and stuff on their ships when they're uh, fighting in a night battle per I se. Actually, but um, I I have um I have I have evidence that that would say that would speak to the opposite um okay yeah in in early in the pacific theater well early for u.s terms hmm. um essentially what would happen is you know the japanese were masters of the the night battle and they did not when when during the guadalcanal campaign they did not have control of the air during the day so they would do all of their um, troop and supply movements at night, and and they'd move from Rabal to you know Guadalcanal, and they they made a lot of attacks on um, U.S. or Allied uh, warships at night, and we had a lot of trouble. And occasionally, you'd hear about you know this ship to to just heroically light up a target, turned on their searchlights. Um, and so what that did was it, it lit up a target for uh, all of their friendly ships to shoot at, but it okay, also okay. made them a target. Yeah, a, a a number target. One star. So yeah, it's it sort of, it, it was, it was a double edged sword in real life. And it was, it was like a very brave thing for the captain to do, okay. um, to order, but it happened in, uh, a number of conflicts and, um, there was also a lot of cases of mistaken identity and uh, ships falling out of formation because the visibility was so bad on like moonless nights and stuff. So, but yeah, the searchlights were used. Uh, star shells were a big thing. Um, yes. So we could see that kind of implemented. But yeah, well, if they, if they do something like that, like for example, it's a night mode, but then all ships have searchlights on for some reason, which I mean would be I guess heroic for all of them. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. Uh, then, then you'd have some some lighting on the battlefield, right, and be able to aim pretty much normally, I would say. Um, so that, I think it'd be definitely able to be implemented. Um, I don't think they'd ever do it for a competitive setting, but um, in terms of random battles or a different game mode or ranked, um, I think that they could definitely do a night mode. And I think that a, people have been asking for it forever. They did Operation Cherry Blossom or something like that, I think, um, mm -hmm. which was like semi-night mode. Um, but not like full. Uh, so if if they uh, if they ever do that, I'd be definitely interested in it. I think it'd be cool. The uh, something that I think is actually very interesting when it comes to night battles is exactly what you said when it comes to visibility. Because yeah, there there were the the brave captains who were like, all right, we're going to turn on our searchlights, and then a few minutes later find out why are they only shooting at us? You know, yeah. um, I. There's actually another game out there that I think has had an interesting take on night battles. Um, I know Pickles plays it. John, uh, have you ever played War Thunder? I've never tried War Thunder. No, I have a few friends that have tried it out a few times, but I myself have never uh, downloaded the game. All right. What, well, that, what do they have over good there? Good for you. Good for you. Good for Stay you. away. It's not fun. <laughs> um, yeah. They have during, um, I think it's, 
I think it's like anything above six zero or something. Seven zero. Um, eight three. Eight three. They they can start getting night battles, um, and night battles depending on the version of the map. There there's a whole bunch of different versions of the map with a whole bunch of different varying degrees of lighting. But the one consistent thing is regardless of the amount of lighting you get from the moon or other sources, um, you always get parachute flares that constantly spawn. And I think that that could be a good potential way to add some form of passive visibility. Um, yeah, I think that, to, to yeah, yeah. I think that you should so, still have the options to turn on your lights. And I think that having your, turning your lights on should be a, the, Maybe it gives you, you know, it would increase your uh, detectability range, but maybe increase accuracy because yeah. you can now see the target that mm -hmm. you're shooting at. I don't know. Maybe, you know, do like a trade-off sort of thing, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. The, the other yeah. thing is um, star shells and stuff. That was another thing. I mean, you briefly mentioned the Solomons. Yeah, the, the Japanese would typically start an attack off by having a, a spotter plane drop a whole bunch of parachute flares. Um, yeah. And then the U.S. would instantly just start shooting off star shells. Um, which were essentially parachute flares. <laughs> yeah, but right, but, right. Um, but I, I think that uh, stuff like that could be implemented and could be well. Um, back when you mentioned cherry blossom, back when cherry blossom was the thing, a lot of people thought that it was a precursor to a night mode, and then cherry blossom mm -hmm. disappeared, and we haven't seen it in like nine years. Rip cherry blossom. Well, but, they uh, they said that they are thinking about bringing cherry blossom back. But I wanted to point out that Trident, um, the the map that is being added to uh, Clan Battles this season, um, actually has certain skyboxes that are like Twilight esque, you know, where where it 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 doesn't really have a, a prominent sun in the sky or even low to the horizon. I think it actually has a moon on one of them, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it on does one have one of a the moon, variants. So. It's like. Either sunrise or sunset. Um, the moon yeah. is like just hovering on the horizon or something like that. And it I does think. look really nice, but it doesn't have an effect on gameplay. And I think, I think that's sort of like a like an edging towards maybe perhaps. But uh, again, that's hard to sort of speculate. Yeah. Hmm. It's. I I think that it's certainly a very interesting topic and i and i really think that it's something that should be expanded on uh I, th I think that it'd be very interesting because exactly again i'm a fat history nerd all of the solomon you know the 19 billion cruiser fights that we fought with the japanese yes. um off of guadalcanal during the second world war all very very interesting to me um and and of course uh the the u.s navy's use of star shells as impromptu incendiary shells uh, always, always was a, was an interesting topic. Yep. Uh, we could we could get those as well as you know, hundred percent fire starters, zero. I don't want another damage. thing that starts fire. I play BBs. I don't want another thing that starts fires. Stop Only it. Only if your superstructure is saturated. Stop it. No, <laughs> I don't want it. Imagine a DM just shooting just shooting star shells at you. Oh, I just repped four fires. Oh, I'm back on four fires. I hate my life. <laughs> I mean, it would it would make um, Furious Conqueror uh, a lot more popular. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! Uh, speaking of new kind of um, 
maps and, and, and things like that. Something else that's on the board here that is very interesting is the support CVs. I know that this is something that I think I remember reading a dev blog about um, when it came to these things. And I think that it was something that was tested internally. What are your guys' thoughts on any potential support CVs? Do you, do I, mean, you think I can't I, I can't actually say much on this because I did participate in a few of those tests, and so I do have an NDA agreement over that. So I can't I can't say too too much about support CVs. What I, I would see. say is that um, more carriers in the game. I think that before going ahead with more carriers, maybe take a look at the entire game as a whole, including all classes. Just consider um, the interactions between these ships before adding in potentially like support CVs, how they're looking to release them or how they've been kind of uh, making them out to be are going to be kind of like a completely different class uh, compared to our current carrier system. Mm. So maybe before adding in an additional almost new class, taking a look at the game as a whole and just making sure that everything is interacting in a proper way before we go ahead and add in potentially another two lines of, uh, you know, somewhat of a new class, Wait. this uh, whatever new mechanics they so, so desire to put on them. So you're saying, John, just, just so I can get this, you know, you don't want, like, a third kind of class that poorly interacts with other classes? Is that <laughs> what you're saying? I can't confirm or deny that that is exactly what I'm trying to get at here. But, um... <laughs> Yeah, um, I don't want them to be too hasty with getting out another completely new game mechanic. Um, I think that as it is right now, there are things that do need a little bit of tweaking in the game, and they could invest a little bit of time into that uh, before jumping on the uh, get out a new get out these uh, these new. Uh, I don't yeah. know what you call them, features, I guess. Yeah, that, that's a very good point, <laughs> yeah. because there's still people... And th this is a topic that always comes up, so fuck it, we'll go into it now. Subs and CVs. Um, the, people are still very upset with how subs interact with each right. other and surface ships and randoms. And I know that there's still a lot of people who are upset with CVs uh, and their interactions with uh, all the different classes and everything. To, to the varying degrees. So uh, I, I, I am very much yeah. in agreement there that I, I think that at the very least one of those should be remedied before another one is kind of thrown into the mix. Because it, it as somebody who's recently played a lot of Midway, uh, because I've just been grinding up the American carrier lines, and I think Pickles was there for a lot of this. In almost every single one of my Ranger games I played, I do very well with my drops. Uh, loved Ranger, hundred you know, hundred thousand average. Here we go. I'm feeling good. Then Pippi Longstocking would surface in his U190 and shotgun me with torps and then dive, and there was nothing I could do about it. <laughs> so, so that's one of those interactions that I'm talking about, mm. right? Like subs versus carriers. I mean, is there really any? I mean, again, I don't play personally carriers or submarines, so I can't like. Mm -hmm. Uh, say too too much to this. I don't have too much experience, but from what I've seen from witnessing it, there seems to be very little a carrier can do against a submarine, mm. um, if at all. Uh, and uh, so if the sub knows how to play it, the, the carrier should die to him. And then the argument is, well, 
why would your team let a submarine get to your carrier, right? Uh, but, I mean, they're removing the ability for submarines to spot each other now, um, proximity-wise. Uh, and then, you know, submarines can go underwater. So uh, I, I, how are we going to spot it? <laughs> I think that it, it, I think that Wargaming is finally coming to the realization that they can't adequately balance submarines. That's why they're kind of removing their interaction with each other. Um, well, they, kind they of did like sort what of the they same thing, yeah, with CVs. But I think I think the the more pragmatic approach is to say, okay, well, they're they're turning the whole rock paper scissors thing on its head because, you know, originally there was this this concept, and I, and I think it was popularized around the time of the CV, CV rework that uh, the surface ships have. A, a rock paper scissors interaction where you know the battleships sink the cruisers which sink the destroyers which sink the battleships right and that that's that's sort of the the thinking that people have going into it and then when you add in cb well okay now it's rock paper scissors gun you know um the, the <laughs> cb kills everything and is untouchable because it's you know on the j line but what Wargaming has done by introducing the submarine is say, okay, now there's a now gun. there is yeah now there there is a a class that is untouchable by the CV in the same way that the CV was untouchable by the surface ship, um, and and unfortunately it's it's now become even more convoluted because now it's uh, surface ships can kill submarines. Uh, and submarines can kill CVs, and CVs can kill surface ships, but all of these are with impunity now. <laughs> so yeah. it's it's instead of being a delicate balance of rock paper scissors with player skill involved, now it's sort of well, I know what I get to kill next, and there's nothing he can do about it. There's um, there's been and a... that oh, sorry that I think you know John is absolutely right. They should be looking at, and they should be trying to figure out. Um, how to make things at least on the surface seem more balanced before they think about introducing a new class, essentially. Well, the, the number one, or one of the top, I think, three killers um, of submarines in the North Atlantic during the, the, during the Second World War was escort carriers and, like, HVARs, because... They would just plaster an area with HVARs, break something on the submarine. The submarine can't dive. Submarine gets ran down by a DD. Stuff like that. And there's been interactions where, like, I've dumped an entire fighter squadron at a submarine, landed, no HVARs, because he's about as wide as my ego, you know, or, and, and or he's as small as my as my ego, rather. And it's, it's just impossible for the CV to kind of interact with him. And meanwhile, he's just sitting on the surface going, I am going to gut punch you with torpedoes so yeah it's, it's very much rock paper scissors gun submergible gun underwater gun it's yeah well i i, I do like that they're taking their time with submarines though well they I, are taking their they're, they're taking time yes yes <laughs> a little bit of time i don't yeah, think yeah. that they're fully utilizing the time i don't think that we're gonna get something at the end of this cycle that 
reflects kindly on the time that has been sent in it. But yes, this isn't something that they just went, here, chuckle fucks, here, submarines, eat my ass, go buy a premium boat. You know, they, they are putting them <laughs> through a few different I mean, iterations and toying with them. They, they've, they've got premium subs in the upcoming patches. So, Do they? Uh, <laughs> Do they? I would not know that, John. I, I, I don't no, no, know In that. the dev vlog, in the oh, dev vlog, there's a... Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Never mind, never mind. They will be coming up soon, um, whether we like it or not. Like, there's no reason to make a premium, like, to call it a premium sub if they're not going to sell it. <laughs> there, so, there's uh, a few people who think it might be a test platform because I think one of them has uh, a gun. I think... Well, the one with the gun, I think, is going to be the one that gets sold first. Um, mm. There's a, There was another one, I think, was it Russian, that goes, like, really fast uh, or something? The, the that German one, I think... one in the dev blog goes fast. Okay, the German one, that one. Yeah. Um, that one, I believe, may be a test, may be a test, but again, this is all just speculation. But um, the one with the gun, I think that's a legit, like, they're going to probably release that. Mm. Well, they've um, been making, they, they've been making uh, changes to it. Uh, in the dev blog, so it's yeah. It might, they it they might definitely just didn't be, just throw it out as a concept. It might right? just be like, what's that tier ten Russian cruiser that just occasionally comes kicking and screaming out of dev hell and then comes back? But Sevastopol. Yeah, Sevastopol. It might just be like that. It might just be coming in and in and out, and they might be using it just as a test platform. I have seen them. I, th I think Sevastopol is um. Its statistics on numbers are showing up now, so it will be released soon, mm. I suspect. Well, um, mm, well Mr. Pick I think that is correct, actually. I, I'm not 100% sure. Well, we, we don't know all that much. We just know what's in the dev blog. Yep, yep, mm -hmm. dev blog only. Yep, dev blog only. We're all um, trying to skirt around the fact that we're all, we we've all signed NDAs of something. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> yeah. did, did, why did you have to say it? Okay. I was just gonna keep skirting it. Oh no! Oh come on now. Oh, all right. Oh, yeah. All right. All right. Well, we we're gonna move on to one of our one of our fan favorite sections. It, uh, John. I don't know if you've ever listened to the podcast. If you have, thank you. If you haven't, thank you. <laughs> um, but we, we have a segment it's boats we love or boats we hate um, and this week it's boats we hate at tier 7 um, last week it was boats we love I think at tier 9 I picked Lepanto because I'm a masochist and yeah I know I know you're judging me John I know even even your your kindness knows bounds um, no, no, no. Lepanto is so good. It's so good. He's got sap. <laughs> it's got it a sap. It's, it, mm. you know, the, the reason I chose it, and, and I'll say it again because I'm still getting DMs mocking me for it, so here we go. <laughs> um, the reason I chose it is because I hated every other Italian battleship in that line, and I was about to give up when I got to Lepanto, played through Lepanto, and Lepanto got me to Colombo, which is rapidly becoming my favorite tier 10 battleship. So it holds a special place in my heart. It's not all that good. I know you can stop DMing me, crash about it. Not to call anybody out though. So, um, for boats, I, we hate it tier seven. Um, like like I said, we all just choose a boat that we hate. We'll start off with Griefer FR twenty five. Is he gonna explain that or no? He's no, not actually. He's says, not here, pickles. Here. You're you're Griefer yeah, yeah, yeah. this week. <laughs> Oh, 
So Griefer uh, picked FR25 <laughs> and uh, just left at that. He said, any explanation needed? No, nope, it's, it's FR25. Nope. The only reason I FR25. own one is I'm going to leaderboard it because nobody plays it. Yeah, good it. luck. Good luck. <laughs> Um, I've never, I've never played this shit, but I believe the arcs are like really bad on it. It's that, terrible. That, that might be why. So I would expect that alone. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a French DD hull with sap that goes to the moon, and I think does it even hold on? Let me, let me, let me pull it up. I don't even think it is AP. Hold on, where is it? No, it gets HE and sap. No, I don't know. We're gonna find out. You've you've started your leaderboard. Uh, H and Sap. Huh? No, see what yeah. happened is I played about eight games, averaged seventy k. Went God, That's I hate actually this. Quite impressive, seventy k. I went in, God, in I hate this, and then I stopped playing it, and then this has gone on the back burner. I I wasted a golden, I wasted a doubloons coupon on this, by the way. So you can mock me for that this week instead of the Lepanto. But yeah, right. it's just. I didn't even think the torps are good. Yeah, you have six kilometer torps, so you don't have torps. <laughs> um, <laughs> fourteen thousand or fifteen thousand damage, six to eight knots. That's good, but your surface detect is seven. So, unless you're rushing at somebody. Oh, there's one thing that I love about this boat. It gets engine smoke. God bless. Yes, classic Italian. God bless engine smoke. Just being able to just engine smoke and engine boost your way out, it is very nice. But yeah, other than that, it's just a guapard that's sad and Italian. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's it. So, FR25. I have chosen the Garizia, cho uh, continuing on with the Italian kind of theme, um, because it is eight... 203s on a 15 second reload uh, with a 15 kilometer range and you're just you have okay plating amidships you have like 25 upper 30 casemate 150 belt and and that's it that's you you lose torpedoes i don't even think you get engine smoke you know it's it's just a it's just oh no you do exhaust smoke you do whoop de do it's it's just not fun to play. I think I played two games in it. Went wow, I don't enjoy this. I demounted the modules and I've been happier ever since. Um, yeah, I, I think that's that's accurate. I don't think anyone is particularly a huge fan of Garizia. The the other um, thing is, why would you play the Garizia when the Abruzzi's at the same tier? Right, exactly. You get torpedoes. You get tragic premiums. That's just worse than the Tech Tree variant. Wasn't the Garizia? Put in for it a was dockyard. a premium. It was a freemium. That's yeah. right. It was a freemium. It was, it was a dockyard. Wasn't it the first Puerto Rico dockyard? Uh, I wasn't actually around for the first Puerto Rico, so I'm I'm actually pretty excited about getting a chance to finally get it. Oh yeah, um, that's that's another great thing that we we could have talked about. The Puerto Rico's coming back. If you already have a Puerto Rico, grind the event. If you don't have a Puerto Rico, grind the event. There you go. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's this dockyard's 100 worth it. Just. Whether or not you already have the ship, just do it. Yeah, it's fine. But yeah, I, th I think it was the Garizia. Um, I think it it was if you had the Garizia or if you bought the Garizia, you got a special mission chain during a okay. few of the Puerto Rico mission sets. I I think that that's the only reason people played it. Um, they're 
battleship food in randoms, their cruiser food in randoms, and... I'm trying to remember the last time I saw one in I, randoms. I, I deleted one with a Hugo a few days ago. Very nice. Yep, and that's, that's really about it. Would you like to go next, um, Mr. Pickles? I, I would. I mm. would. Um, this ship is my uh, least favorite ship in the entire game, um, tier 7 or otherwise. It is the Shiratsuyu, uh, the Shit Ratsuyu. Shit rat, um, love shit rat. Everything about it just makes me angry unreasonably. Okay. Um, because, well, first of all, it's preceded by the Hatsuharu, mm -hmm. which is an absolutely excellent DD at tier 6. You know, and it's a good all-arounder. It has, you know, decent guns, decent torpedoes, good concealment, you know, decent health pool actually working AA kind of, you know, for a DD at, at tier six, right? And then and then you get dropped into the Shiratsuyu, which has this horrible two one two turret layout where the 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 turret with one gun spins the wrong way and uh they're they're hand cranked and it takes forty five seconds to turn hundred and eighty degrees and you've got Less than ninety thousand he dpm. It's still it's still the 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 ijn he that we all love. Uh, the one twenty sevens that hit like a truck, right? You just have an eight second reload. <laughs> you just have an eight second reload on it, and then the the <laughs> torpedoes have like a ten second um, you know, reaction window, uh, which is huge. It's horrifying. Um, they're 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 spotted from space. They they're not that fast. They don't even hit that hard. Um, you're constantly up tier to tier seven, so you're you're having to fight against uh, the the tier eight and nine DDs that are absolutely cracked in every way, shape, and form. You know the you imagine imagine running up against uh, the. A Kitakaze in, in a, a Shiratsuyu. Right? You just you might as well alt F4 that you're done. Your your game has been finished. You're 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 going back to the port and uh and you're free XPing to the Akizuki, which is another wonderful DD, one of the best at tier eight, right? And and, and nobody can claim otherwise. It's obviously one of the best at tier eight. In, in every tier eight competitive season, it has it has made an appearance. Uh, it's always a good pick for ranked. It's always a good pick for farming, or you know, and it, and it's it's just so weird that it falls in between two very good DDs, and it's just the pain point of the line that I hate so much. Um, just and, a twelve thousand hit point snack for anything uh, you come yeah. across. So so it's like it it takes me no time at all. If even if I'm just grinding through. Uh, without using a ton of flags, well, I guess that's not like a thing anymore. But you know, I, I would because everyone does the the Haruguma line for research bureau, right? Mm -hmm. Or a standard? <laughs> yeah, you, you you grind up to the Hatsuharu and it's great, you know. And then the Shiratsuyu takes you longer than Akizuki to Haruguma because it's just you you don't get those good games in it. Like yeah, every once in a while you dev strike a battleship um, that wasn't paying attention anyway, and it's fantastic. 
But that's it. That's what you're hoping for is that one time you dev strike a battleship. Come on. Mm. So that's my pick. Uh, hopefully go. I've given you enough time to pick one job. <laughs> yeah, I was looking through what I have actually. And um, you know what? This is going to be a little bit. I mean, so those of you that know me, um, I really don't like playing battleships that much anymore. Um, it's just the accuracy is so um, it's troll a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, and so on that logic, I I would say that I probably dislike I dislike most tier seven battleships, but one that stands out to me uh, would probably be Stratsburg. Um, and really, so this, this this is my reasoning for Stratsburg sticking out is probably one of my least favorite tier seven BBs is that it's kind of in this awkward spot between Dunkirk at tier six and then Reshalu at tier eight, and you've also got Jean Bart at tier nine. So it's just kind of this, I feel like it was released kind of like a filler ship. They're like, you know, we've got this tier six, Dunkirk, you know, the uh, the double quads. And then we've got Reshalu at tier eight. And we got Jean Bart at tier nine. Why not just throw one in at tier seven too? And I feel like that's what this kind of amalgamated into. They just threw this one at tier seven. And I mean, it gets punched because it, it gets overmatched. It has the reload booster, but the guns are low caliber. So... It doesn't get to uh, overmatch enemy battleships as much, um, and I, I I don't know. I just feel like uh, it's <laughs> it's kind of just a filler boat, if that makes sense, uh, for why Wargaming uh, placed it where it was. Um, honestly, they probably could have made this into the French heavy cruiser line instead of the the battleship line, but um, <laughs> that's yeah, that's my two yeah. cents on that ship. No, that's I I. I don't think it's the worst tier seven battleship because again, I I play the Ichikuchio, the Karakuchlio, whatever, and I I fucking despise <laughs> that thing. Um, but you know, I can very much see what you're saying with the Strasbourg. These are these are only of the ones that I've played. I actually I don't play very many tier seven BBs at all. Mm. I think I played Colorado back in the day, first God line bless classic. Colorado. God um, bless Colorado. God bless it. God bless it. And then other ones that I've played, I, I'm looking at my port. I I've never sold any of my boats. So I I keep them really? all. Um, I guess I played Nizen now and Florida. Florida is a good one. Florida is a good I love one. Florida. Um, really good tier Florida. seven battleship. Probably yeah, because Florida's it's great. a cruiser, essentially. Uh, but um, yeah, Florida's great. Honestly, the thing that um, makes Florida so good is that internal armor bulkhead in the back that prevents yes. you from getting citadeled through the ass. Yes. And that is like something that, that people should know about that they just don't ever hear because it's not shown in game. And it's no. not something anyone ever talks about, but it has this internal like 400 millimeter bulkhead, the same kind of thing that the Slava has, actually, hilariously. Um, I didn't know that. Wait, what? Slava yeah. has an internal bulkhead on the bow yeah. or just the stern? Just the stern, I think. You That's can pull it up <laughs> in, in an armor model viewer, but yeah. Um, I actually don't own Slava. Um, okay. Um, so I, um, I mean, I could pull it up from the armory, but that's probably why I don't know some of these. Yeah. Details because I, I never play the boats, so. <laughs> yeah, but but Florida has a has a very similar play style to um, a high tier cruiser where you sort of just sit stern in and and throttle jockey and and take shots when you can, right? Um, and it has great horizontal, or no, great vertical dispersion with crap horizontal dispersion, so you can almost be bad at predicting speed and still do well in Florida. 
Actually, come to think of it, another tier 7 that's kind of poopy caca, uh, the Yukon. Oh, true. I don't have Yukon. It's, I don't have that one. Okay, all right. Here. No, actually, you want to know what, John? I will describe to you Yukon, and you are going to sing it songs of praise. Are you ready? All right, so it's a yeah, monarch go, go, go. at tier 7. Well, it's tier 8 in tier 7. It's, mm -hmm. it's broken. It should be broken, right? 32-second reload. Yep, it needed those two seconds on for some reason. Uh, heavy cruiser gun range. <laughs> Actually, I think less than heavy cruiser because it's fifteen seven gun range. Fifteen okay. seven. Fifteen seven. Thirty seven. Thirty seven second turret traverse. That's not terrible. Uh, okay. Twenty eight knot speed. So you know we're 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 moving bad, we're grooving. Uh, okay. That's. Yeah, oh, tier 7 is not bad. I'm thinking tier 10 speeds. Mm. That's pretty bad at tier 10. I think Vermont can do that with Brisk, but... <laughs> they, um, uh, 13 kilometer, well, 12.8 kilometer detect. That doesn't leave you a whole lot of room between the firing range. And no, the it doesn't. No, but it's it's okay. Is it okay because it gets a spotter? No, it gets a super heal. Oh, okay. Right. That's the, and that's, so wait, that's what, okay, but um, yeah. if I remember correctly, it doesn't get the British HE, does it? It doesn't I don't get think like it does. the super good HE. It's like kind of like normal HE, if you can say. I think so, I because it's it's uh, Commonwealth. It's not British, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. I'd feel more comfortable playing like a monitor, like with smoothbore guns, than I would playing the Yukon though. The Yukon just guns don't seem to work for me. Oh, you also have twenty-five yeah. bow and stern plating. Well, that's good. And oh, nice. as as you're sitting there, probably thinking, "Hmm, well, you know, there's probably a nice bulkhead on the other side of it." No, it's two eighty. So yeah, any battleship, any battleship that punches through your nose, you're just gonna feel it, and you can't punch back because you have a fifteen-seven uh, gun range. <laughs> <sighs> Oh, there's there's so many wonky ships at tier seven because there's so many standout ships because you have like the Heinrich Heinrich I loved in the in the German battlecruiser line, mm -hmm. mwah, Scharnhorst, mwah, the Hood Nelson, mwah, Nelson, Nelson, mwah, and then and then right. it's like Yukon, Colorado. Eh. Colorado's not it gets, it gets overmatch, right? It just doesn't but have speed. It just doesn't have speed. But then you have, like, sign-up, which is so give and take. <laughs> I mean, so many people love it, it or takes, hate it. It takes everything. It doesn't give anything. <laughs> There's the... Um, I forgot this existed, the Ashitaka. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a boat. That's, that's, that's another one of those. It's a tier 8, but they down-tiered it. It's, it gets um, the Japanese treatment of your premiums are a ship just one tier lower and gimped. Mazel tov. <laughs> but, hey now. <laughs> but yeah, that's. I think that really wraps it up for tier seven. Tier seven's a very. It, it's a very lovable tier because you have, like I said, you have gods. You know, like you have the Atlanta, you have the Weimar, you have the Indianapolis, er, Surrey, the Brest, Surrey. the Surrey. And then yeah. you just have like ships that aren't as good. It's 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 a toss up. Anyway, moving on, we have a history section this week. We do. 
We do. Mr. Pickles, would you like to lead us down this road? John, if you if you don't want to hear us ramble about history, you you are more than welcome to to take off if you'd like. But if you'd like to stay, I was going to say that I I will to. have to head off around 4. So if you guys are going to be doing history for It's going to take know, longer than that. Portion, so then uh, I will head off now and thank you again so much for having me. Um, All right. Oh yeah, John, you can you can shout out your stuff and everything. By the way, I know you stream on Twitch. Oh, that's okay. No, I... yeah, I, I stream on Twitch. If uh, if you want to check me out, I stream on Twitch. Uh, that's all I'll say for that. <laughs> wow, um, so humble, very humble, yes. John. Um, but again, thank you guys so much. Um, and uh, again, um, well, thank you. The rest of the uh, weekend, and I'm sure the history will be interesting. Yes. I'll make sure to watch it on the uh, podcast when it gets released. Thank you. Catch you guys later. All right. Bye-bye. Look Bye, forward John. to seeing you in game. Yep. Take it easy, John. All right. All right. What do, what are we covering today with the history section? Uh, so today, I decided to do. It's sort of a well-known story, not something super obscure, um, like Greeny would like to cover. With <laughs> not his like vast me, knowledge. Not like me rambling about G threes for twenty minutes. Right. Exactly. Um, <laughs> I, I although you know if you if you if you look on the uh, World of Warships forums, which is a terrible place. Um, yeah, don't go there. I, I mean, a wonderful resource for for new and experienced players alike. And um, and no, if you if you go to those forums and you look back at the way back before we got the the British battle cruiser line, you will see that many people have wanted the G three and the J three in game for the longest time. Yeah. I mean since since the British battleships were announced everyone said this is this is it we're getting, we're getting them. our we're getting them and so and then we got so a conquer which is just a lion with a fourth <laughs> turret and everybody's like ah no. So so everyone wanted the G3. Everyone is is pretty happy about the G3 and the J3 being in game. So you know. But uh Instead, I'm going to do sort of a this day in history thing. And um, uh, we're recording this on the 30th. And this event happened um, starting on the, you know, the, the wee hours, you know, just after midnight on the 30th and continued for uh, four days after in the year of 1945 in the Pacific Theater. It's, uh, of course, the sinking of the Indianapolis, mm. which was a, an absolute tragedy. Um, for those who don't know, the, the Indianapolis, USS Indianapolis, was a Portland-class heavy cruiser launched in 1931 and commissioned a full year later in November of 32. Uh, she gained 11 battle stars over her career, which is quite a few. Um, it puts her up there. Uh, most of those battle stars, obviously, in, in those in those island conflicts around Guadalcanal and... Um, uh, she actually, uh, she was famous for the for the you know, tragic tale of her sinking, but she actually was responsible for uh, a top secret mission earlier that year in 1945, uh, delivering the necessary uranium for Little Boy, believe mm. it or not. So she ran dark, um, you know, basically across the Pacific to deliver uranium so that little boy could be constructed and uh so i guess that's where she got her revenge in in some twisted way right mm. 
but the sinking of the Indianapolis resulted in the greatest loss of life from a single ship in U.S. naval history. Uh, only 316 sailors of the original 1195 actually survived. Many of them had survivor's guilt, and um, the the captain, unfortunately, uh, took his own life uh, at the age of 70 because of it. And he there, was sort of never was, forgiven. Sorry. He was sort of never forgiven by some of the families of the crew members. There was a lot of, I actually recently watched a, a pretty good documentary on this. Um, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll send it to, well, documentary, it's some Texas guy rambling. Um, <laughs> but I, I'll get Griefer to post it as well. But there is a lot, he goes over in that video, a lot of stories and tales about how there were times where, unfortunately, uh, due to either dehydration or sunstroke, people would just go delirious. Yeah, and absolutely. all of the people were just, you know, kind of huddled together on the rafts and they couldn't support a delirious person. So mm -hmm. they just kind of had to let them go. Right. And they, there's was... there's a, a lot of stories. And that's something that I really think I'm not trying to jump the gun here. It's just something that really needs to be emphasized how horrible this is, because when a lot of people think of maritime disasters and when a lot of people think of your you know your naval ship sinking for instance during the second world war a lot of people picture okay a lot of people die during what caused the ship to sink and they get trapped on the ship and that's what caused you know them them to die as well but in, in reality um there's there's also that third phase of mm -hmm. just exposure and right. four days of just you know Chilling out in the ocean probably doesn't seem that bad, especially because it's the Pacific. But it was four days with very little supplies, four days right. of constantly treading water, four days of at most three to four hours of sleep. The mm -hmm. the exposure really tore into people. And well, they they had you know dehydration exposure hypothermia during the night and mm -hmm. you know sun sun exposure during the day right heat stroke during the day um, starvation and uh, believe it or not because because of you know, sitting in the water too long obviously you know hey maybe you were in the shower too long your hands got a little pruney haha funny but sitting in salt water for that long causes a lot of problems. Yeah. Um, one of them, you're, you're which I learned about researching this is, is hypernatremia, mm -hmm. which is salt in the blood because, you know, the, the, the process of osmosis tries to, you know, water tries to find an equilibrium between two semi-permeable barriers. Right. So if you have salt water on one side of a barrier and, and uh, fresh water on the other, uh, the, the salt, water will actually transfer through the barrier as long as it is semi-permeable so that there's the same amount of salt both inside and outside right yeah, it's so that's what happens to the human bloodstream when you when you spend too long in salt water and by too long I'm, you know, several days yeah you're not you're not going to get this going to the beach oh i, I right. swam for 30 right. minutes ah my my blood has salt in it yeah, you're again safe this, there. this is this is you know, like we said, four days of treading water in the middle of the ocean. Also, like like we previously said, in horrible conditions, arguably. Because, again, you're no food 
or very little food, very little water. Right. No, no shade from the sun during the day. No warmth uh, at night. No, no warmth at night. Um, and 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 keep in mind, there was also uh, right after the the initial explosion and the initial sinking, there was a lot of you know oil and uh, chemicals and um, the, the bits and pieces of things floating in the water and the, the burning oil uh, is, and salt water is like not a great thing to get in your eyes. So they were saying that like many people were blind through this whole event, right? So they're doing all of this and trying to survive and, and, and they can't even see. The, the other thing is it's not even the oil and the burning. It's the fact that this is fucking bunker fuel, right? This isn't, this isn't, you know, fucking 53 from the pump or, you know, or 73, whatever. Yeah. This is, this is like heavy, heavy, thick, viscous bunker fuel that is powering these ships. So a lot of people don't really fully grasp the, um, you know, the, the, the severity of being in that situation. And again, it's another hazard, not to circle back too much, but it's another hazard um, that you have to face in that third phase of a ship sinking, in that phase when you're just out in the water. So... Now that we've sort of explained some of the some of the horrors that these these poor sailors had to go through in that third phase, um, it's worth looking at what actually happened. Mm. Uh, so shortly after midnight on July the thirtieth, nineteen forty-five, she was spotted by the Japanese submarine I fifty-eight. Uh, Captain Mochitsura Hashimoto believed he had spotted the. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Well, he, serious time, serious time. Yeah, no, no. It's it, we we can do a little bit of joking now. It's been, you know, quite a few years since this incident, and, mm -hmm. um, and, and and this is supposed to be sort of a light-hearted podcast, right? Well, yeah. I, I don't want somebody to just like be terrified of the ocean after they hear a fat New Englander <laughs> talk about who spent all day yesterday on the ocean, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> There wasn't any bunker fuel. I didn't have to do much treading, and there was plenty of liquid. So don't worry about me. I was fine. Anyway, yeah. um, so he, the the captain of the I fifty eight, actually believed he had spotted the New Mexico class battleship USS Idaho, um, and I'm sure he was terrified because Japanese submarine mariners have an irrational fear of potatoes. It is it is an incredibly lethal weapon. Yeah, as we found um, out, Japanese subs. Um, as we all know, mm -hmm. um, so it, what he did was he, what all submariners do. They, they get a bearing on the ship, figure out how fast it's going, figure out what direction it's heading in and then launch torpedoes. The, uh, the captain of the I-58 launched two type 95 torpedoes and, uh, one struck in the amidships and one in the bow. The Type 95 torpedoes, which maybe not as many people have heard of as, of course, the, the Type 93 Long Lance, which we're all familiar with. Uh, the Type 95 was modified for submarines. It had 60 kilograms more explosives. It still had the you know, oxygen fuel. And 
these were much better than anything the, the uh, Bureau of Ordnance had come up with, uh, even in 1945. So they were capable of traveling 9 kilometers at 50 knots or up to 12 kilometers at 46 knots. Compared to some of the torpedoes we see in-game, that doesn't seem that impressive. But keep in mind, a lot of the stats for in-game torpedoes are heavily inflated to make them more fun to play with. Yeah. Uh, because because uh, four-kilometer torps on your Tier 10 uh, going 36 knots is not going to be super enjoyable, I promise you. Right? Um, but yeah, so so these these were pretty insane torpedoes, and uh, Indy took two of them. And so she started to turn over a little bit. And this was exacerbated by the fact that she was a cruiser designed in the late 20s yeah, she and was built a treaty cruiser. in the early 30s, right? And like all American ships, during World War II, at some point, they brought her back to port and said, okay, do you see how we have this empty deck space here? I could fit at least three machine guns here. <laughs> why aren't they there? And it's, why aren't they there? Uh, so she went through that whole process of more machine guns than could reasonably be uh, predicted by her 1928 designer. And so she was kind of top-heavy. I think the other thing is, is I, if I remember correctly, the... The Indianapolis and a lot of the ships the same class were, and and again, correct me if I'm wrong. Class, yeah. I'm 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 pulling, I'm pulling very much from the back of my mind here. But they were often called swayback marus due to, um, the way that their hulls were shaped, and their hulls were actually known for, not really being able to stand up to. I don't want to call it blunt force trauma because that makes it seem like it just got whacked with a hammer. But, yeah, um, but it did. Yeah, yeah well, it kind of yeah. did, right? But the, the, the holes were not built to be able to stand up to uh, explosions like that. Or at least mm -hmm. they, they were, but it was, again, operating under the restrictions of the Washington Naval Treaty. So sacrifices had yeah. to be made at some point. Because the, these, were, these weren't Baltimore's. These weren't Cleveland's. These were 10,000-ton treaty heavy cruisers. Right. And, and unlike some other nations, uh, the U.S. did tend to stick to treaties. Germany. <coughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I, I had something in my throat. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every time I see somebody argue that like the Hipper were the best treaty cruisers, I want to go and just punch all of the sauerkraut in existence. It 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 upsets me. Well, not only that, it's not actually technically true. Not just because they weren't treaty cruisers, but because they also weren't better cruisers than a lot of the treaty cruisers. Counterpoint. Even though I, I love hippers. Counterpoint. According to these people, Germany made the best things during the war. So obviously they were the best cruisers. Oh my god. Have you ever heard the tale of uh, Bismarck the Wise? <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Back, back to Indianapolis. Right. Uh, so the problem was that because of yeah, her design and the machine guns and all the other things that they added over the years. And because of getting hit with two massive torpedoes uh, on the same side, she, she started to go over very quickly and she capsized only 12 minutes after uh, the explosions. And 
That's 12 oh. minutes and a ship is gone. That is very fucking fast. Yes. That is extremely fast. Uh, it, it it takes a long time for ships to go underwater. Uh, usually the ship has to fill entirely space by space with water, and it takes a very long time for that to actually happen and for the air to get pushed out or replaced. 12 minutes is nothing in, in the scheme of things. And... So what that meant was, of the original 1,195 crew aboard, 300 went down with the ship, and they were sort of the lucky ones, um, because the, the, the rest that, that didn't make it were subjected to this hell for the, of, of phase three for a, a period of up to four days. Yeah. So... Due to how quickly it sank, there weren't many life jackets and there were very few lifeboats. They didn't, you know, most, some of these guys in their bunks didn't even have time to ask someone what was happening before the ship was going down. Yeah, they just right? woke up, the ship was at an angle, and they're like, huh, I think, I think I'll leave now. Yeah. And actually, the, the Navy really screwed up uh, in, a, in a big way. Because at this point in the war, it was sort of assumed that everything was just going to go the way that the U.S. wanted. There was, there was yeah. hardly any surprises. You know, oh, there's no U-boats left patrolling this area. You don't have to worry about uh, a Japanese fleet or Japanese planes randomly finding you. You know, just just let us know if something bad happens. Otherwise, we'll see you in port. And they they had these relaxed reporting standards. You know, nobody radioed in every day. Nobody would check in and say, "Hey, we're here at this speed, at you know yeah. this heading, and and you know we're going to be two hours behind." It was just sort of their their piece on the map was was or on the board was moved. And they were assumed to have gotten to that port, and the 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 master of the port just said, "Yeah, well, yeah, she's probably taking a while because she had an issue, and we'll see her tomorrow. And don't don't radio it in yet, you know. Don't yeah. don't send a telegram just because a ship's a little bit late. Right? We've got fifty other ships coming in today that I've got to worry about, and so." Nobody thought to send a plane uh, for quite a while. And it, it was actually three and a half days uh, before a PV-2 spotted them that was sent out to look for the Indy on her route. And, you know, keep in mind that, that in that 12 minutes, there was, there was a radio man making distress calls, right? So Indy had managed to put out a distress call before sinking, and it was received by three stations nearby. Um, the first station had a drunk commander who didn't want to bother. Let's go. The second station ordered his men not to disturb him so he could get a good night's sleep. And the third assumed the call was a Japanese trap and didn't even bother reporting it. Now keep in mind, this is in late 1945, right, uh, where the U.S. had almost complete control 
of or mid-1945, where the U.S. had almost complete control of the situation in the South Pacific, right? Oh, uh, and, and then we get to the, the, the part where all the, the movies and the, the drama is about, which is the, the white tip sharks, right? Yeah. And they like to... The, the, the problem is, I think, that the, the story of the Indianapolis was sort of first mentioned to the public uh, in the movie Jaws. Because supposedly, you know, the guy talking about the shark was a survivor of the Indianapolis, right? And and that's why sort of all of the documentaries and all of the YouTube videos and things talking about the Indianapolis afterwards focus on the sharks as a, as a major thing. And I'm sure that for the men there at the time, that was definitely the scariest thing. Yeah, if if I was if I was in that situation, I was like, okay, cool. I'm in the Navy. I'll swim for a few days. The Navy will come get me. That's fine. Yeah. Oh my God, there's sharks eating the corpses floating away. Ah, I don't right. like that. There, there's but um, actually to add a little bit of truth to that, there were a lot of stories of people having to just absolutely batter sharks away in a lot of situations. Right. So, I, I don't the want problem, people to think that you know we're downplaying yeah. it. Right. The, the problem is that the white, white chip sharks, um, and I, I remember watching a study on this, they, they essentially tied some pallets together with like two oil barrels and threw them overboard and, it, and waited to see how long it would take a white tip shark to realize something had fallen overboard and go investigate. Mm. And the time was like 20 minutes. <laughs> and they said the white tip shark came from like, 27 miles away. Oh. So, a massive explosion and a bunch of people screaming and, and treading water and a ship sinking to the bottom uh, and plenty of blood is probably going to draw in a lot of sharks. And there's no way of knowing how many sharks were there, but if a white tip shark hears something fall in the water, they're going to go check it out. Yeah, because there might be food. Um, so yeah, it it is true that uh, the most reputable historians are going to say that the the sharks definitely went for the dead bodies first. Um, and in fact, a lot of the 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 first person accounts say that yeah, they 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 only started eating the living sailors when all the dead ones had been taken care of, but the up to as many as 150 were eaten by sharks. Now, some people say it was only a couple dozen, but Jesus, you it's know, it's still, um, but then you know, we get back to a lighter note where, uh, after the PV two flew over, you know, obviously the first thing on the scene is a Catalina. And there was a Catalina PBY2 that dropped a lifeboat and a bunch of life jackets with emergency supplies. And the lifeboat hit the water and cracked in half too far away from the men. Right. And, and the, the life jackets supplies weren't going to be enough. So uh, the, the pilot asked the people in the plane, he said, listen, 
guys, we, it is against orders. We are not allowed to land in open water. There are 12 foot swells. Okay. We're going to go for uh, a land. <laughs> we're going to go for a landing. Is everyone cool with this? And obviously, you know, the, these men aboard this Catalina said, yes, the, 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 those guys have been in the water for three and a half days. We got to get down there. And, uh, this absolute Chad landed a Catalina in 12 foot swells, which I don't want to sail a boat in 12 foot swells. I don't, like, I definitely don't want to be in a plane. <laughs> I've been in 12 foot swells. It's not fun. It's not a hee hee hoo hoo. Let's go on like Davy Jones's wild ride. This is, it's been, you know, this is fucking terrible. I hate, I miss being able to stand up straight. In, in yeah. 12 to 14 foot swells. And again, for most craft, that's just don't go out, don't bother. You're going to get swamped. Right. And then nobody's going to be able to get, come out to get you. Right. And imagine um, landing a, a yeah. fucking seaplane. <laughs> that. that is insane. The, the swells are taller than the wings above the water, right? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> You're just sitting here, um, I hope the swells don't take out the propellers, because if they do, we're joining the guys in the water. Uh. So they took 56 people aboard this Catalina, which is not a not a huge plane. I mean, we're not talking about a B-52 here. This is a Catalina, right? And then they ran out of room inside of the plane, so they grabbed a bunch of paracord and started strapping people to the wings to get them out of the water. Oh, Jesus. Uh, and and keep them out of the water until um, destroyer escort... Oh, gosh. Why didn't I write this down? Doyle came by and, and picked everyone up. So... Let's see, what was it? It was USS... Sorry, sorry, sorry. Looking this up. Cecil J. Doyle, mm. um, destroyer escort, came and picked up the rest of them. And, you know, like I mentioned earlier, only 316 sailors survived uh, the sinking of the Indianapolis. And uh, believe it or not, the, the captain survived as well, Charles B. McVeigh. Uh, and after the war, he was court-martialed for the incident. So the, the sinking of Indianapolis, they court-martialed um, McVeigh, who was the, the captain of the ship at the time, and they, they charged him with uh, was... failure to order abandoned ship and failure to hazard his ship. Now, failure to hazard uh, means failure to take appropriate evasive maneuvers when there's submarines in the area, like zigzagging or uh, turning off your running lights or whatever. I think the right. captain of the Lusitania was also charged with failure to hazard. Yeah, uh, during the First World War, but that, it's, that's it's a it's a yeah. catch-all for not avoiding danger. Yeah, not uh, acting the way you should act in a zone where there's mm -hmm. potentially submarines going around. And he was eventually acquitted of failure to order abandoned ship because of the survivors testifying that he ordered very quickly to abandon ship. And then, uh, as for the failure to hazard, believe it or not, the commander of the I-58, right, the, the Mochitsura Hashimoto, was brought in 
and testified that zigzagging or hazarding the ship would have done nothing to prevent the success of the torpedo attack. They were at such a range uh, and, and such a bearing that it, it would have been successful either way. It could have been one torpedo, but one Type 95 would have done the same thing as two at that point. Uh, yeah. We're talking about a, a treaty cruiser versus Late more than torpedo. a long yeah. long lance worth of torpedo. It's going gonna, it's gonna to sink a ship. Um, I just I thought it was interesting that they they actually brought the captain of the I fifty eight to testify in a U.S. court martial. I'm surprised that he survived the war. the The amount of captains and admirals on the Japanese side that just didn't actually mm-hmm. I shouldn't even just say the Japanese side because a lot of German commanders didn't survive the war as well. Um, but yeah, the the amount of commanders that didn't survive I'm, I'm surprised that he was able to come and testify mm-hmm. and i also uh, just love the fact again looking at this retroactively obviously i'm not making light of the, of the attack and everything but i think that it's funny that he was just sitting in the courtroom he's like yeah that wouldn't have done shit i still would have killed him i still would have sank the ship mm-hmm. and, and he probably said that with absolute certainty yeah because we're we're talking about surface ship and submarine interaction here at the end of the day right Oh no! <laughs> We're going back. I'm no. ending the episode. No, right. no more. Thank you very right. much, Mister Pickles, for standing in for Griefer. I'm upset you didn't do an Australian accent the whole time. I would have just. There is absolutely like, no way. That I would I have just acted Australian like you were Griefer the entire time. No, I can't do it. I can't do it. I, and I'm sorry. I'm not able to live up to, you know, what what Griefer brings to this podcast. But uh, I I hope that the episode was still entertaining or you might have learned something. So thank you very much for inviting me on. Not a problem. And I'd also very much like to thank John as well for coming on, but he already stepped off. He had to do go do some, you know, Canadian things, uh, hug a beaver, run into Eat a moose. Poutine. I don't know what they do up there. Yeah, poutine. I don't know. But Be anyway. nice to random <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Have a nice day.